0: This is episode 151 of Beyond the Bulletin, published on March 31st, 2023. Hello and welcome to episode 151 of Beyond the Bulletin. From the University of Waterloo, I'm Brandon Sweet, editor of The Daily Bulletin.
1: And from Media Relations, I'm Pamela Smythe.
0: On this podcast, we go beyond the pages and pixels of the Daily Bulletin to inform you about important news and views from our community.
1: Please keep listening for my conversation with Jarrell Adams of the Warriors Football Program. The Associate Head Coach, Defensive Coordinator, and Recruiting Coordinator joined me to discuss his anti-racism work.
0: Thank you for joining us as we go Beyond the Bulletin.
1: I was going to say gridiron, but I don't think I can pull that off.
0: Oh, I like I like the word gridiron, but then it makes me think of of like pancakes and other things that you cook on a griddle.
1: I know. What is a gridiron? I know what it is sort of metaphorically, but why is it even called that? Do you have any idea?
0: Well, I'm assuming and any sports fan can prove me wrong by emailing bulletin at uwaterloo.ca, is that the the lines on the football field make a grid similar to a oven rack. (laughs) I don't know. Look it up. Google it. Google it is the new read a book. I I mean, I would also accept Battlefield. Now, here's what's been happening. The university welcomed an Eagle staff to our institution in a special ceremony on March 27th. The ceremony
1: began with drumming by the Cedar Hill Singers and a procession, followed by a prayer of thanks led by Elder Bill Woodworth. Gun Henry, Indigenous Knowledge Keeper, introduced the Eagle Staff on behalf of the University's Indigenous community, marking an important step in Waterloo's journey towards reconciliation. By accepting the Eagle Staff, the University honours the responsibility to take on Indigenous perspectives in the ways we teach, govern and behave as an institution.
0: In recognition of the four cardinal directions of Earth, Mayingan Henry presented the staff to Waterloo's President and Vice-Chancellor, Vivek Goel, four times to mark the transfer of the staff to the university. Going forward, this Eagle staff will be present at ceremonies and celebrations on campus, such as convocation, representing University of Waterloo First Nations, Métis, and Inuit community members as a symbol of reconciliation.
1: The University of Waterloo has moved to an open annual call for honorary degree nominations. The President invites all members of the university community to submit nominations for honorary degree recipients for 2024.
0: Through the conferring of honorary degrees, Waterloo seeks to recognize outstanding achievement, whether academic or through service to society. These achievements are celebrated at Convocation, where they inspire those in attendance and, in particular, our newly graduating students. Guidelines for the awarding of honorary degrees, including selection guidelines, procedures, and considerations to make in assessing a candidate's qualifications, are all on the website for the Senate Nominating Committee for Honorary Degrees.
1: You can nominate people from Canada or abroad whose presence will bring honour and distinction to the university and whose achievements will be seen as important and exemplary to the graduating students. The deadline to submit a nomination is May 31st.
0: Now, here's what's coming up. President Goel has invited all faculty and staff to participate in the special President's Forum, Waterloo at 100 Vision, taking place online and in person at the Humanities Theatre on April 11th at 1.15pm.
1: This event formally launches the Waterloo at 100 Vision document. Attendees will learn more about Waterloo's vision and guiding principles our differentiators that enable success in the future, the global futures and forecasted areas of focus.
0: This is a free event followed by refreshments in Hagee Hall. For those who cannot attend in person, the event will be live-streamed on Microsoft Teams. And did we mention the refreshments afterwards?
1: (laughs) Hey, faculty members! While the forum is taking place as part of the 15th Annual Waterloo Staff Conference, the event is open to both staff and faculty. We'll put the staff and faculty registration links in our show notes. See you there!
0: The Healthy Workplace Committee, in partnership with Organizational and Human Development and Homewood Health, has organized various wellness sessions for Waterloo employees to attend virtually over the winter and spring 2023 terms. These online learning events will be one hour in length and will be facilitated through Microsoft Teams by Homewood Health, who, you might recall, is the provider of our employee and family assistance program for employees at the university.
1: There's content on positive parenting, to stress busters, to the emotional effects of retirement. Space is limited to 40 participants per event, so register early to avoid disappointment.
0: Positive parenting and then stress busters. It's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that'll do it. <laughs> and there, there are many more. Those are just three examples. And now the interview. When Darrell Adams isn't busy recruiting our next star football players or coaching our current warriors, he's taking action against racism. He co-founded the Alliance, an organization created within the department of athletics and recreation that strives to support black indigenous and racialized members of our community to address racism. He's here to tell us what motivates him both on and off the field.
1: Darrell, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So how did the Alliance come into being?
2: Well, This goes back to the summer of 2022, uh, 2020, excuse me. Um, You're looking at the uh, brutal lynching of of George Floyd and Brianna Taylor and myself being one of three full-time employees of the athletic department that identifies as Black, uh, working with our athletic director, felt like we had to do something um, to figure out ways to make changes within the Waterloo Network. So we started out, we brainstormed, figuring out how can we use our platforms as coaches and administrators to be able to You know, do something. And uh, we started with a, what we call the healing circle. And it was hosted by Rohan Thompson of Breakthrough Counseling Services. We had approximately 40 people who identified as Black attend that meeting. And basically, Rohan led us through different uh, ways that we're dealing with traumas, how we're going to move forward and continue to speak up and out and be brave and be able to you know, try to change the narrative because it, it was horrendous to be able to experience that, to have to relive it, to have to keep talking about it. And every time you turn on social media and you see another Black person wrongfully accused or being brutalized, it just becomes something that you can't handle anymore. So we decided to, to do something to be able to put an end to it. So after that meeting, we had a... Uh, an allyship meeting, a follow-up meeting a few weeks later, where this is open to anybody of any background, ethnicity, or creed. And it was a chance for Rohan to be able to explain what allyship looks like, because a lot of people don't know. And finally, around September, we put a call to action to the department, any students, staff, faculty that wanted to come on board the formation of this group to be able to create change within the Waterloo Network. And uh, at the start, In 2020, we started with about 20 members, I would say 15 faculty and about five courageous student-athletes that were uh, kind of the the leaders of the group. And uh, it's been almost three years now. We've duplicated in size. We're about 40 members deep now. Definitely proud of the progress that we made. If you look back to history, you know, Starting with the civil rights movement, it's my job as um, as a Black male to carry the torch that was passed on to me by them to make sure that these type of things don't happen in the future, because clearly they're still going on. Clearly, the, the message hasn't gotten through. Clearly, there's a level of racism that we need to destruct.
1: And how is it going, the alliance?
2: When we started out, we said we wanted to be an action-based group. We identified a few different things that we could do to be able to make sure that Number one, we're educating ourselves, we're educating each other, and then we're finding ways to reach out to the community. So um, the group is definitely having opportunities to make some strides. We have uh, pride ourselves on um, communication, education. Most recently, we uh, conducted a Learn to Swim program, reaching out to some members of the community, and then extending that to some members, uh, students, on, student body on campus. So we're definitely making some progress. Obviously, things happen a little bit slowly, but you know, as long as we're always moving the needle forward, definitely satisfied with the way we've gone.
1: Why a Learn to Swim program?
2: Yeah, so the Learn to Swim program came about, I would say, late 21, early 22. And we uh, wanted to work with people who identify as female first, just because in the Black community, there's a huge fear of water. There's so many members of the Black community who cannot swim or are afraid to swim. So we wanted to reach out and have opportunities to teach them a life skill. It was a free program that we started. And we had 25 that were in attendance the first time. It was an eight-week program that ran on Sundays, and we had a lot of um, opportunities to help them build their confidence, develop their skills and techniques, and it's been very successful. We've been able to duplicate that this year and double that number from 25 to 50, incorporating some people who identify as male now. And thankfully, we've been able to obtain some government grants to fund the program, providing equipment and lifeguards, so that way safety is always a priority.
1: Now you do a lot of other work in the area of equity, diversity, inclusion. And for this work, you received the Ontario University Athletics or OUA Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Award. Congratulations. Thank you. You are also a mentor coach for the Waterloo Black Apprentice Coach program. You are a member of the OUA's EDI committee. That was was that in twenty twenty one?
2: So there's a newly formed committee led by Shawna Buchow. She's the new manager of EDI within the OUA. So she established a brand new committee that will start meeting um, sometime this month. And now we're planning on making some changes
1: and and developing some initiatives within the province uh, in the upcoming months. And you also are a member of Waterloo's Black Faculty Collective and a member of the Black Canadian Coaches Association, plus the Black Football Coaches of Canada.
2: Yes, it's it's a lot on my plate, but um, it doesn't feel like work. It's just part of who I am as a Black man who happens to be uh, involved in athletics.
1: What motivates you in this work?
2: Well, my family, for sure. Number one, first and foremost, raising two beautiful children who identify as black, but they come from a mixed background because my wife is uh, mixed ethnicities as well. So having a multicultural family is what motivates me to be the best version of myself, what motivates me to get involved in as many different initiatives that have proper foundation, proper support and proper um, ideals to be able to provide for a better future. Because things have been very Terrible, to be quite frank, you know, and now the addition of social media, everything becomes, you know, public information. And these videos that you see almost daily now are are, are, it's it's sickening. And some things I can't control, some things I can't. So the more I have a chance to educate and make changes, that's what my main goal is, to be able to ensure
1: they have the best possible future. What's the Black Football Coaches of Canada group and the Black Canadian Coaches Association?
2: So the... Black Canadian Coaches Association is kind of the umbrella group, and that's basically all the coaches in Canada across all sports that identify as black. And the black football coaches uh, branch of that umbrella, of that tree, better said, is specifically for black football coaches. And it started out as kind of like a forum for open conversation. Um, It's an opportunity for us to network, to get to know one another, Um, and then to be able to kind of share our experiences, to vent our frustrations. It's a a brave space for us to be who we are and and kind of, you know, step into our comfort zone, whereas more times than not, we're we're always outside of our comfort zone because we're living in a white-centered world and we have to code switch and be able to play the game we got to play to do the jobs that we do. So having those spaces allows us to be able to kind of remember who we are as people and be able to make changes and be able to help each other out.
1: How do you incorporate your anti-racism work and your your EDI work into your everyday? How does it impact your everyday work?
2: Well, there's no separation. It's not like I wake up in the morning and say, hey, I got to do this regarding anti-racism. Being a Black man, the minute I wake up, I, work, I wake up into a racist world. So it's just a part of a fabric of who I am. It's just a matter of making concentrated efforts to educate others about, hey, this might be a racist incident or I might have to aid a player that's dealing with some problems or we might have meetings with the Alliance. So once again, you know, being A Black man in a white-centered world, you're always dealing with stereotypes and racism. You're always fighting. You're always on the defensive. You're always trying to find ways to prove why people should treat you a certain way. So, like I said, I don't have to go out of my way to think, okay, how do I make this anti-racist statement or how do I do that? This is just how I live my life.
1: When you call these things out, how is that going? It depends on the person. It
2: depends on the atmosphere. I've been fortunate to work in an environment that allows me to speak and be heard. Um, A lot of times here at the University of Waterloo, especially having a very proactive athletic director and head coach who are open minded, who are um, against racism, they always give me the floor to speak and they always welcome me with open arms and ears. So it's nice to know that you have the support from those who are working with you. And you'll find people that are not interested in anything you have to say that will always have that brick wall up that will always be racist. It's just in their blood. So it's just a matter of navigating through those water on a daily basis. Racism is something that's taught, right? If you if you put two newborn babies in a room, they're not gonna know the difference, black, white, Chinese, Indian. They're not gonna know. People have to teach them that. We have to get to a point where we can understand, appreciate, acknowledge color and, and, and the differences in ethnicities and backgrounds, but don't have it as a hierarchy. We can't look at it as though one is better than the other or one is more deserving or one is more entitled, right? But racism is taught. So that's what we're trying to get to the root of the problem and convince people not to continue to teach it to the next generation. But it's going to take a lot of work because the people that benefit from racism are the ones that have to be the ones to stop teaching it. Right, and it's hard to convince people, especially those entitled, you know, white supremacist people, to say, nope, this isn't the way it should be. It's going to be a challenge.
1: Before working in university sports, you were the head strength coach and assistant defensive line coach with the Hamilton Tiger Cats for the twenty eleven and twenty twelve seasons. You were also a three times captain and three times first team All Conference player at Villanova University in Pennsylvania. Then you joined the New York Jets as an undrafted free agent. And then you were a starter at defensive tackle for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, where you were for three years until 2010. Were you doing anti-racism work then?
2: During those times, it was more so about um, understanding uh, the scope of racism and how the microaggressions could affect me in my development, my future, understanding um, how the racism affects me, even though I wasn't directly exposed to a racist event. So it wasn't nearly what it is today in terms of me um, taking actions and forming groups and, and collaborating and building networks with anti-racism in mind but it was also a matter of living life as a young black male trying to survive and being well aware of all the different forms of racism that were present
1: how did you make the career transition from being uh, a player to now recruiting and being a coach
2: I' tell you it's a unique story because uh, after I retired from Ticats, cat um, my Wife, my girlfriend, she's my wife now. At the time, she was sponsoring me to stay in the country. We had a, my son was going to be on the way. This is 2010. So we're waiting for my paperwork to come back from the government. And at the time, anybody playing for the TIE Cats that was American was on a closed work permit, which meant you couldn't go to school. You couldn't be employed by any other uh, organization. You had to be employed by the TIE Cats. So I called them up and asked him for a favor. I said, listen, I'm waiting for my paperwork to come through. I have my certification with strength conditioning. Can you hire me in any capacity, whether it be janitor, ball boy. And they did me a, a favor, a blessing. They hired me as a strength coach, um, and allowed me to be assistant with the defensive line. And, uh, I took a liking to coaching. That wasn't my ultimate goal. I was one of those players back in the day, felt like I was going to play in the NFL, make a lot of money, and open up a chain of sports bars. Well, that got derailed. And once that went off the rails, um, I had to swerve, and I got my certification for strength and conditioning, I was doing some personal training at the time. And uh, once I started coaching, um, I realized how much I I liked it. Having a chance to mentor young guys, especially those who migrated from uh, the States to Canada with that transition, teaching them how to be pros, taking care of their body, preparing to be successful on the field, and experiencing success through their eyes. And it it was something that I really took a liking to. And then having an opportunity to transition to Carleton University, I really feel like coaching the collegiate level was my comfort zone because now I have a chance to recruit young kids out of high school, you know, young as the age of 15 and really paint a picture for them of what their future could look like as a black male coach who graduated from university, who's played at the high level, but now has a career, has a career post playing days. So for all those reasons, I've, I've taken the last you know 12 years to really um, learn how to be the best coach possible how to mentor, how to lead, how to educate, and how to use all my tools and experience to empower others.
1: Well, you were in a recruiting position when Trey Ford joined the Waterloo Warriors. When he was on the podcast, we talked about racism in football, specifically the lack of starting quarterbacks who are Black. And that he said even when he was trying to get into university to play football— some schools refer to him as a quote-unquote athlete, which we talked about as a code to discriminate against Black players and try to dissuade him from pursuing quarterback position. How does his recounting of that mesh with what you've seen?
2: There were so many other universities that were saying, "Are oh, you going to play a different position, you can't play quarterback, you shouldn't play quarterback, whereas we were telling him ever since grade 10 that, hey, you're going to be a quarterback. You're going to play quarterback. And he believed in that and we stayed true to our word. And combining recruiting him and his twin brother, Tyrell, we knew it was a package deal. So Trey was the highly you know, highly recruited player. Tyrell was kind of a bit of an afterthought for those other coaches. Whereas for us, our primary strategy was to recruit Tyrell first and remind Trey that we're going to recruit you as a quarterback. So Chris Petoya had a great plan of action that we followed through with. We spent a lot of time at games, brought them for campus visits, and just kept reminding them both you're a package deal, you're going to play together, you're going to change the culture here at Waterloo, and you're going to do so by playing quarterback. The black quarterbacks just haven't given enough opportunities. They haven't been given time to develop, time to grow, and the resources to make them productive. So when you look at what happened in the Super Bowl most recently, everybody's all up in arms. Oh, this is the first time there's two black quarterbacks. This is Super Bowl 57. If you can count, there's and the countless numbers of black quarterbacks that could have been playing at that game on that stage in the past 50 years. So it's finally come a chance where we can show what we can do. And it's long overdue, in my opinion.
1: What was it like for you to see two starting quarterbacks in the Super Bowl? It was normal.
2: I've seen black quarterbacks my whole life. Now it's just become a big deal on a main scale because, oh, it's the Super Bowl and it's two black quarterbacks. For us, it's like it's, it's long overdue. We've been waiting for this a long time. We've been saying it for a long time how we deserve opportunities to show what we can do. And and it's got to be more consistent. It's got to be something that people take ownership and pride in and say, yeah, they were right.
1: Do you think that with Trey Ford's success as a quarterback, that now there's going to be this change in university sport where there's going to be a lot more black quarterbacks?
2: Well, progress is a slow process. So having Trey have the success that he had is only evidence of what you could do when given an opportunity. So I'm hoping that there'll be changes. I'm advocating for changes. And part of why I do what I do is to create opportunities for other quarterbacks like Trey to even pursue it, right? Because sometimes black quarterbacks can be dissuaded because they know at some point a a coach somewhere is going to move me. So if we can have more people like myself in positions as coordinators, as, as coaches, as athletic directors, to be able to say, Hey, give that kid an opportunity It's going to be a very slow process, but if we don't keep pushing the needle, it'll never happen. So that's part of my my everyday goal is to push the needle a little bit further every single day.
1: What's coming up? What's next for you at Waterloo?
2: We've had a great offseason thus far, so the coaches will take some time to watch the film and get our guys healthy and figure out how we're going to finish the second half of the semester, get guys ready for exams, and map out the summer as we prepare for the 2023 season.
1: And what's next for your anti-racism work?
2: I'm looking forward to increasing the student body population of the Alliance. We have some different events happening in March, um, starting with a three-on-three tournament. We're collaborating with the uw Base organization on campus for a basketball tournament. And we're going to follow that up with a focus group um, addressing uh, the topic will be, what is your Black ground? So just having a chance for students to come in and speak about their um, culture. Because, you know, Black is, I don't want to say Black is not uniform, but there's no one singular type of blackness. Everybody has a different background, different upbringing, different cultural uh, identity. So having a chance to share stories and collaborate and network. So increasing student body population, working with Shauna and uh, continuing to fight the good fight every single day.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for, for doing all of this work and for supporting our students and doing so much for our community.
2: My pleasure. It's part of the job. And again, it doesn't feel like a job. It's just part of who I am. You know, I owe it to myself, my kids. Um, Just paying it forward for my coaches that helped me get to this point in the past. And I'm blessed to still be involved in football. I have so many peers that envy me because I'm still coaching and and involved and you know even though I'm turning 40 this year I don't feel 40 because I'm constantly telling my story about my times in high school and university and aiding guys through their decision in this process and it's like man you graduated 05 like that was a long time ago you know but it's been a blessing
1: we are the lucky ones to have you here thank you and thank you for being here with me today
0: my pleasure well, that about wraps it up for us this time. To ensure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Beyond the Bulletin podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And please recommend us to your colleagues and Waterloo alumni.
1: You can find us on Twitter at UW Daily Bulletin. Select interviews are on the university's YouTube channel. Just look for the Beyond the Bulletin playlist there. You can reach us by email at bulletin at uwaterloo.ca.
0: Thanks for listening as we went Beyond the Bulletin.
1: So my neighbour... Just found out this week she got accepted into Mechanical and Mechatronics Engineering.
0: Oh, well, congratulations to your neighbor.
1: Yes, and congratulations to everybody who got those letters.